It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is a test. This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. Of all these opinions, this is the one that continues to blindside me, dumbfound me, gobsmack me, thunderstruck Just me. blasphemy. Absolute blasphemy. Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the Everybody procedure, calm. everyone? What's the procedure? Stay calm! Welcome into the Overreaction Podcast. And because you are hearing my voice, you probably know what the drill is. I am Cody Smith at Cody Smith TFDR on X. But because I'm doing the intro, you know what that means. It means that my co-host Chase is down for the count, cannot physically speak right now. So probably doesn't make much sense to have him on an audio only podcast coming to you all on this lovely Tuesday morning. So unfortunately, we don't get to hear Chase's beautiful voice on the intro, but you've got me rocking with you solo for the next little while here. Probably a little bit shorter of an episode than we normally have just because I'm sitting here trying to talk through everything myself. But I do think we have some stuff that we need to break down and a fun little exercise that I figured that I would be able to do pretty easily on my own coming to you all live here with the Overreaction Podcast. The first thing we got to do is overreact to the news of last week, the stuff that we haven't gotten to yet since the last time we have been able to grace this beautiful podcast platform along with all the other gracious and amazing content creators at Destination Devi tap in every single day and along with the DTI5 guys as well who are now rocking with us heavily throughout the entirety of what is now the pre-draft process. And we're not going to start there. We are going to start with some different news that's happening in the NFL currently. I don't know how much you want to call it news, but it came across my timeline. It brought me back to some fond memories. I don't know how fondly, but running back Mike Davis has retired from the NFL after being kind of, I guess, forcefully retired a little bit last year. I don't know if he even logged a snap, but Clean up those rosters. If you, for some reason, have an NERB on a 53, Mike Davis still hanging around out there, go ahead and cut it. You probably should have done it a year ago. This one isn't news. Let's move on. Just about as uninspiring alongside of that one, but I do think this one has a little bit of upside potentially in best ball. He had a couple of weeks throughout the season. Nelson Aguilar has re-signed a one-year contract extension to stay with the Baltimore Ravens. I do think that he was a solid wide receiver three. He actually outproduced Rashad Bateman this year. If you were look, really looking at the overall scope of the entire season, I know Rashad Bateman's dealt with his injuries, but Nelson Aguilar being on this team probably maintains a wide receiver three role on this team. Whether that is alongside of Rashad Bateman, we'll see how healthy Odell Beckham can stay being one year older. Obviously, this team runs through Mark Andrews and 
Zay Flowers. But I do think for some deeper best ball leagues, Nelson Aguilar is still very good or still very important in those type of leagues, depending on how deep you are. Could be a guy that you throw at the bottom of those benches and he could give you a spike week or two. I actually don't mind him sticking around with one of the best teams that he's really succeeded with over the past couple of years here over last year with the Baltimore Ravens do like him going back but obviously this one doesn't matter for most people who are playing in lineup leagues not even on the radar let's move on this is where we get to a little bit more of the interesting things and we're going to start we're going to start the interesting ones off with the fact that uh, divorces are sometimes messy and most of the time they are messy and it feels like we are heading for one of those divorces in Chicago with Justin Fields has now reportedly taken all of the Bears associations off of his social media. This is what happens in modern day NFL in the social media age and the players trying to take a little bit more ownership and stuff. It, it's not that surprising though, right? We're everybody's putting this Caleb Williams. I think the conversation of the Bears actually trading out of the pick and keeping Justin Fields as their long-term guy. I think those are going further and further away from reality. The more that we hear from what the league thinks about what the Bears are going to do with this number one overall pick does seem like this is going to be coming to a pretty split and we'll see how ugly it gets. I think there, I think it'll be done a little bit more amicably. I don't think taking your social media down is all that bad either. So we'll have to see where does Justin Fields go? Does a team actually send significant draft capital? And if you think they do send significant draft capital, they have to give him that fifth year option. We'll see what that fifth we'll see what that fifth year option really turns into if that's an option for the NFL team that pursues him. I think there's a chance. I know, I know I don't have anybody to hold me back on this one because I'm rolling solo, but I do think that there's a chance. Whenever you start looking at all of the landing spots that are available, you start looking at all the vets that are still available as well. I think there's a chance that we could see a Trey Lance-esque situation play out here if a team doesn't want to give up reasonable capital to go get Justin Fields and they already have another guy that they can bring in. I think at least a competition for Justin Fields is actually very likely coming here down the stretch because once you start looking at all these open spots, if the Derek Carr gets re-signed, if Baker re-signs in Tampa, Geno looks like he's staying in Seattle as well. You start looking at the spots, you start looking at potentially five first-round quarterbacks as well coming in maybe he's a guy who takes over for first year to see if he can hit it and then they replace maybe with a second or a third round quarterback through the draft as well I don't know I'm just throwing it out there I know I'm the Justin Fields hater but I do have a little bit more concern about this becoming a potential reality than I feel like I'm seeing from a lot of the fantasy football or even the NFL draft draft experts at this time NFL pundits around the league do think it's a possibility. I don't think it's a high one. Just want to plant that seed in there for anybody who thinks this is a locked and loaded, still like quarterback 10 potential upside, or I think he does have that upside, but ranking him there in terms of dynasty, quarterback 10 to quarterback 15, I'm still personally not there. But again, you got me. I'm the, I am the Justin Fields number one hater, potentially outside of Jay Rich. I think he might hold that title still. We'll move on though to the Second to last thing that we have in the news and notes section of this overreaction podcast, Mike Evans and the Bucks. Uh, we didn't really hear anything about this one, but apparently they did have a soft deadline that they were trying to get a contract done. And they were working behind the scenes to get that contract done to get him to stay probably for the entirety of his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That does not happen. It did not happen. We are past that soft deadline now. 
And because it happened, the Bucks are eating another $7.4 million in dead cap for the 2024 season if Evans and the team were able to reach an agreement that would offset that $7.4 million guarantee. It's a very soft deadline. I don't think that they're pushing too hard to really get to this one unless they were really just keeping this under wraps. This kind of just came across the timeline today as we're recording. And so I don't really have a lean on this either way, whether that means he's going back to the Bucks, whether that means he's going elsewhere. I still like Mike Evans regardless of what happens to him, honestly. Now I think there's potentially you could get a lot better. You could see that upside spike if he were to go to one of those teams like the Lions, like the Chiefs, like the Bills. I do think that that's a higher upside, but I don't have any concerns about him returning to Tampa Bay as well, where he has been a Hall of Fame career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't have any concerns about Mike Evans, but if you're hoping for him to go elsewhere, I guess this could give you a little bit more of an inkling that that might happen. I don't think that there's this, that much that we can take away from this one yet, though, but one situation to monitor definitely throughout all of the offseason to see if he stays as a lifer. Tampa Bay Buccaneer, or if he goes and tries to go ring chase for another year, maybe if he doesn't exactly have the faith that he once had in a Baker Mayfield and where this organization is comparatively to others. But I like what they did last year. I like Mike Evans as well. One of my favorite players in the league. I hope, I hope he could get a ring if he does go elsewhere, but I'd also kind of like to see him stay a lifer for the Bucks as well. Either way, for your dynasty fantasy football purposes, I'm not reading into this one too much as of yet. And the last thing that has been happening over the past week since we've been talking to y'all is the J.J. McCarthy skyrocket, I feel like, that we have seen over the past couple of weeks, ever since really the Senior Bowl wrapped up, everybody consistently coming out saying the NFL is so much higher than all of the, all of the draft experts. The NFL is higher on J.J. McCarthy. The NFL is higher on J.J. McCarthy. And I can understand it from an, I can understand it from certain aspects. I mean, obviously, coming off of a national championship – Old heads within the NFL are going to like that he's just a pure winner, right? I think there's a lot of skills and a lot of traits, but everybody's going to come back to, well, he didn't really ever have to show anything. And is that because he wasn't asked to and they didn't want him to? Or is it because that offense is just so dominant through the offensive line and the running backs between Blake Corum and Edwards? I don't know exactly. I don't think anybody really knows the question of that unless you can really get in and ask Jim Harbaugh. But obviously he said he could potentially be the number one quarterback in this class. I think the J.J. McCarthy explosion is somewhat similar, but then also a little bit different than what we were seeing from Will Levis last year during this time because of how much there's at least a little bit of like an indifference because I think we just all assumed he would be slotting in in the second, third round to J.J. McCarthy right now. But he doesn't have the hatred from the community, at least the fantasy community, that Will Levis had last year. And it makes him a lot more insulated of an asset if he was to get that high draft capital. I mean, we saw it all of last year. Every time it was Will Levis going four. I mean, there was a point where Will Levis' odds were shifting to number one overall for a period of time right before the draft. And everybody from the fantasy community just coming out and ripping it. How could you do this? But me and my process, I'm going to put those quarterbacks that are getting that draft capital up higher. Now, obviously, he didn't. We'll see if that same situation plays out with J.J. McCarthy, but a lot of people are linking him to teams like the Raiders, like the Falcons, like the Minnesota Vikings, like a team who we might see here in the second half of this episode. I think he, if he does end up getting that capital, I think he's going to have to slot in to that middle back end of the first round. I think all of these quarterbacks that get this first round draft capital will have to slide in there somewhere. And it'll be incredibly interesting. We don't really see that play out in mock drafts right now because I think we have our three elite guys and we have the rest of the 
group of three or four, depending on what your thoughts are on the Penix, Bo Nix, and J.J. McCarthy. It'll be interesting to see where those guys slot in once they get their draft capital. And that's what we're going to look at for the second half of this show we're going to go through that exercise exactly we're going to take one of the mock drafts that was put out by the industry experts field gates just put out his first round of a mock draft for the 2024 nfl draft and in that draft there were 11 fantasy relevant players who were taken i'm going to add in one more i'm going to make a pick for the carolina panthers that way we can get a full 12 and we can do a mock off of a mock of the nfl draft If we were to see it play out this way, where would we be taking the players in the first round? Where would they slot in? The quarterbacks one is one that I'm specifically excited about. So we can take a break now. We'll come back to you all on the other side and we'll show we'll go through the entire process of a mock of a mock with 12 players on the board. We'll see where they fall. We'll get that to you right after this. Welcome back on the other side to the show. And like I said, we're going to be doing that mock of a mock from Field Yates's first round mock plus one of my own personal just flavor picks to throw it in there to get us to 12 fantasy relevant players going through the first round of a mock off of a mock. I'm going to go through. I'm going to give you all of the players who were taken in the first round, where they went and what team they went to in the order and what team they went to. We're going to run through that and then I'll actually start to put my entire board together. If you want to go and see just to have the visual side of it as well, obviously you can go over to ESPN and they will have that mock over there or I'm sure it's also probably somewhere out on the old Twitterverse X app as well that you can probably get at least just the fantasy relevant players, but I'll read them through for you here. First, before we get going, Caleb Williams does go one overall to the Chicago Bears, Jaden Daniels to the Commanders at two, Drake May to the Patriots at three, and we continue the chalk of all chalks, Marvin Harrison to the Arizona Cardinals at four. Now, we actually do skip over the Los Angeles Chargers at five, which is typically a spot that is mocked with a player going there like the guy who we see next and that's Malik Neighbors coming off the board to the New York Giants at six overall a surprising one that I think is going to be fun to dive through what we actually would look for the outcome to be and that is Romo Dunze going to the Tennessee Titans at seven passing on an offensive lineman and going with the wide receiver route JJ McCarthy the rise is evident the rise is here going to the Denver Broncos 12th overall Brock Bowers, this is one that I have not seen at all, and I don't think that fantasy managers would be typically like would be very excited at all. But that is Brock Bowers going to the Seattle Seahawks at 16, trying to become a piece within that offense that already has a lot of skill players. I don't think people are going to like that one that much. Bo Nix making into the first round to the Pittsburgh Steelers taking over to reserve as a what I think a lot of people are going to comp to the same as Kenny Pickett. It'd be an interesting pick to see how the fantasy community would take that one. Brian Thomas going 28th overall to the Buffalo Bills. Adonai Mitchell going off to the Kansas City Chiefs at 32. But the one that I'm putting in here is Carolina Panthers with their first pick in the draft at the top of the second round. We'll go 33rd overall, Troy Franklin out of Oregon to try to bolster a little bit of more of a deep threat and speed that that offense desperately needed last year. So again, the players that we have available who are on the board, Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, Marvin Harrison, Malik Neighbors, Romo Dunze, J.J. McCarthy, Brock Bowers, Bo Nix, Brian Thomas, Adonai Mitchell, and Troy Franklin will be the 12 players who are going to be drafted here. And we can just go and get right into the 101. I don't have any personal sway of this one in 
deciding who I want to take the one. A lot of people will still try to put Marvin Harrison Jr. up there. But I think if you were taking him at that one overall spot, especially if you're if you're going to do that, I would probably much rather trade out of it, at least in all of our Superflex formats. And so I'm going to go with Caleb Williams, the quarterback one off the board in the NFL draft, coming in at the quarterback one off the board and the number one overall pick in this mock of a mock as well. I think that the quarterback position is just too highly valuable. And the upside of Marvin Harrison Jr., he has to come in and do exactly what he's doing. And I don't think there's any way that he can even excel what his price is already at. Like he has to be Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Otherwise, there's no way for him to go up. And even if he does become that, he's still being taken as like a quarter or a wide receiver five off the board in all of these startup drafts and where we're tra- where we're valuing him currently right now. It's hard for me to imagine just taking him there. And I need to have the expected outcome happen just to even regain what I think the value is that a lot of people are baking into him right now. I love the player, but I do think he's just a little bit overpriced in dynasty terms right now. But I'm the rookie hater. We go with the vets on the overreaction pod uh, more so than not. So I can understand the reason why. But I will just bake myself into a little bit more of the number one overall pick and the quarterback position. And I'm actually going to double tap back into that. And that's going to be Jaden Daniels to the Washington Commanders. I'm going to take Jaden Daniels over Marvin Harrison Jr. as well. The argument is fairly the same, except that, you know, Caleb Williams and all of these quarterbacks that we're going to see taken at the top of the board here. All of them have the rushing upside, but Jaden Daniels, the only concern about his rushing upside, like he is a true runner, and the only concern is his frame. If that frame wasn't there, if he was that prototypical like Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen size, uh, Justin Fields size, I think this would be a very big different conversation. And I think there's still a conversation that a lot of people are having and even trying to put him at the quarterback one overall in this class. I'm personally not there, and I'll just – Bake my capital in to the pedigree that Caleb Williams has had over the last three years, ever since he took over for Spencer Rattler, the other quarterback that he took over for in this draft, who we won't see today. But I'll just lean into that a little bit more than I will with Jaden Daniels still at this point. Three off the board, though, is where I do break the plane. I like the quarterback position, but I think the community is souring on Drake May and going to the landing spot of the New England Patriots, that likability score that we've been talking about over the last year or two since we really tried to coin this and the movability that the likability score factors into a quarterback. Because if Drake May comes out and they fail, or this New England Patriots system looks exactly the same as it did with Bill Belichick, I could see people turning against Drake May a lot quicker than they will turn against the Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels. They're not going to turn against Marvin Harrison, even if he comes out and flops year one. It would take a Quentin Johnston-esque flop for the community to turn against Marvin Harrison Jr. or an awful landing spot, which he doesn't get here, and I don't think that he's going to get. So we'll go with Marvin Harrison at the three, number four overall off the NFL board to the Arizona Cardinals. And then I think you have to follow it up with Drake May. Once again, going back into the quarterback position, even though I think he's the least likable out of these top three, at least in what I've seen from the community so far at the New England Patriots landing spot is obviously going to have a lot of people concerned about the longevity of the future of what that offense can actually produce. I don't personally have that. As, as, I don't have nearly as much fear as everybody else has. I mean, the Houston Texans were such a bad landing spot last year. Now I'm not saying the New England Patriots are going to go through a Houston Texan, Texans-esque rebound up from one year to the other and become a playoff team that's competing for an AFC, AFC championship. No, I don't think that that's in the cards for this New England Patriots team, but I don't think it's as bad as everybody is going to make it out to be. 
for the team and for Drake May either. So he will be my fourth off the board. We got Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Marvin Harrison, and Drake May for the first four picks. This is where I think it does get interesting, though, because you do have, I think the next two off the board for the most people are going to be the way that they came off in the NFL draft as well. And that's going to be talking between Malik Neighbors to the Giants at six and Romo Dunze to the Titans at seven. Both of them don't seem to be very great landing spots, but I do think with this new regime that the Tennessee Titans brought in, you're going to see an absolute, like more so of an air raid system. I think this team is going to go through a, they're going to go through a large identity change in the, in the way that they ran the ball with Derrick Henry. You're going to see this team convert more into a Bengal style air out, spread out wide scene, wide scheme. And I think that's going to, it could really benefit Aromo Dunze, but do you really believe in the quarterback of Will Levis? And then the same thing for Malik Neighbors. You don't know what their quarterback position is really looking like right now. It would assume if they're not taking one here in the first round, you're probably just rolling back out Daniel Jones and seeing if he can reclaim a little bit from the, you know, there was the hype that he had going into the 2023 season, obviously unrealized and with an injury put baked on top of it isn't great, but Malik Neighbors is by far and away the best wide receiver that they would have with the New York Giants. And so I'm going to lean there, and I do have Malik Neighbors and Marvin Harrison a little bit higher in my ranks. I do have a little bit of a tear gap between them and Romo Dunze. So you put them in what I would say are pretty neutral situations between the Giants and the Titans. Malik Neighbors taking one spot ahead of him. I don't really care about that. But the landing spot of the Giants, comparatively to the Tennessee Titans, I would take Malik Neighbors here at the 105, followed up by Romo Dunze at the 106. Now, I do have one caveat that I might change that outcome. What is the actual situation with DeAndre Hopkins? Because at 31, 32 years old now, does DeAndre Hopkins really want to be on this team? But does it matter if he wants to be on the team? Maybe he could force his way out. We see a lot more players are able to force their way out of situations they don't want to be in nowadays more so than in a couple of years ago or five, 10 years ago. I think that that's happening a lot more. But if DeAndre Hopkins were to be able to find his way out of there, your only target competition now is Traylon Burks, who's just the often injured one. And then Shigo Conquo is probably your second best receiving target. And if this offense does convert into a higher pass, deeper down the field type of a system, I think you could actually make the argument pretty easily here that Romo Dunze for a lot of people would be ahead of Malik Neighbors. How high he would exactly go, I don't know for sure, but I think he would easily slot in here at this 105, 106. And I think it would give fantasy managers and dynasty managers in particular a pretty difficult situation to try to navigate through. I think for me personally, I would still lean with Malik Neighbors just because I do think he's at a different level as a prospect, and I don't really have a fear about anybody else on that Giants roster right now from a receiving aspect either. And you just don't know with the unknown of what this Tennessee Titans team will actually look like fully. I at least know a little bit of how the New York Giants are going to run, and I think that Malik Neighbors would fit really, really well into that team. We're picking it up here at the 107 pick uh, after the first six picks are off the board. We're then left where I think this is going to be a little bit of an interesting position for a lot of managers because typically we're going to treat this like it would be a tight end premium that actually matters, whether that's start to 1.75 tight end premium or a 2.0 tight end premium, something like along those lines. This is typically where you would see a Brock Bowers picked in the rookie drafts currently right now. But what does this situation play out for? If you were to go to a team like the Seattle Seahawks, 
I know a lot of people are going to come in here and say that it's probably just unrealistic. I don't think even on the pod, uh, Field Gates was saying he didn't even really like the fit afterwards, but he just couldn't really find another spot for Brock Bowers to fall into if he was falling all the way past the 15th overall pick. So he got him here to the Seattle Seahawks. And maybe with the new organization, with the new offensive scheme that they're potentially trying to roll out, it could be a fit. But sitting there with a bunch of other guys in the system and then Geno Smith at the quarterback room, I think a lot of people would push him down. And I would do the same, honestly. Um, I, I'm not the biggest rookie tight end guy, even though we did see the rise out of a lot of guys last year. Trey McBride really coming on, even though he was in his kind of sophomore year, um, didn't really step into that role until Zach Ertz went down, though. We've got the Sam Laporta that really broke out. Dalton Kincaid showed spurts. Tucker Craft showed spurts even. I mean, everybody was showing at least a little bit but I think with the situation here, I'm going to push Brock Bowers a little bit further down the board. And so that's where I would then go to my wide receiver four off the board first before all these other quarterbacks here. J.J. McCarthy to the Denver Broncos at 12 and Bo next to the Pittsburgh Steelers are still on the board. But I'm going to go with this, the fit that I really, really like the most out of all of this. And that's Brian Thomas to the Buffalo Bills at 28 overall. I think that that's a different type of wide receiver and a much better version of who we're probably going to see re step away from the team in whatever facet that might be, at least not bring him back in Gabe Davis to pair a Brian Thomas alongside of Stefan Diggs, put him with Josh Allen. People are going to be over the moon for that pairing, and I'm going to lean into it as well, taking him here at the 107. The interesting thing then now, you've still got a lot of really good spots. You can lean back into the quarterback, and I think if these first-round capital quarterbacks do land here, I think you've got to put them into the back end of the first round as well. It's not just a thing where we're pushing them up because we don't have other players to take. We could go with the quarterback here, or we could go with another really high offense, high-powered team with Patrick Mahomes and an Adonai Mitchell pairing. We could go that way as well, or lean back into the Brock Bowers, who are pushing a little bit further down the board. I'm going to go into it, though. I'm, I'm going to lean into the quarterback room again. And just because the draft capital is so high, I think you have to respect it. I'm going to go with J.J. McCarthy to the Denver Broncos 12th overall. I don't know if he's going to be immediately thrust into that role. A lot of people are saying let him develop. But currently, as we would see that situation right now, Jarrett Stidham, I guess, would still be on the roster. And this is all if they're taking a J.J. McCarthy up here this high, you would have to think that they're going to be letting go of a Russell Wilson in whatever facet that might be. He could be starting week one. I know a lot of people are going to say that they would actually probably rather see Jarrett Stidham step in for a little bit, let J.J. McCarthy mature a little bit more uh, just physically and get to the get to the NFL and take some reps with Sean Payton there as well before he actually steps into the game. I'd be interested to see, though, what the community would think of a J.J. McCarthy going this high to the Denver Broncos at 12. I've started to see a lot of NFL people put that together, but I don't think I've really seen it from the dynasty lens of where you would actually put him within your first round because I do think you have to respect the draft capital. Interesting to see play out here, but he would come in as my 108 off the board, and then we'll go back and I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver, Adonai Mitchell. Um, th there's a little bit of a separation for me between the Brian Thomas and Adonai Mitchell, but you're putting him here with this Kansas City Chiefs team where everybody has been mocking a wide receiver. I think I've only seen one other one that uh, one other place where there hasn't been a wide receiver mocked to the Kansas City Chiefs at 32 overall. Is that the way they end up going? Maybe they do the old trade back uh, out of this luxury pick that a lot of people are going to treat this as, but they need some wide receiver help in whatever way they can get that. Adonai Mitchell is probably, I think he's my wide receiver five, currently in my rankings right now as I'm in the pre-draft early portion of the process. 
And so Adonai Mitchell coming here and pairing with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, don't think you can ignore that at all. Coming in here at the 108, that leaves us four players still left on the board, and that's going to be Brock Bowers, Bo Nix, and actually, I'm sorry, that is the 109 off the board in Adonai Mitchell that leaves us with Brock Bowers, Bo Nix, and Troy Franklin to the Carolina Panthers, my own flavor pick at 33. This is where, though, we're going to go back. I think this one, you have to put Troy Franklin down a little bit further just because of the unknown with the Carolina Panthers. Even though I really do like Troy Franklin, I think you've got to lean in going here with either Bo Nix or Brock Bowers just because of the tight end premium, because of the upside that he does have. And I'm going to put Bo Nix a little bit further down. I don't know what this situation is going to be if the Pittsburgh Steelers were to take him here. Honestly, I'm just going to push him all the way to the 112 because if he, he... I don't think he's going to come in with a lot of fanfare. He's going to be fighting already currently between Kenny Pickett. Maybe Mason Rudolph is still sticking around. Obviously, Mitch Trubisky's already gotten shipped out of town. But it just feels messy and in a team and in a system that a lot of people aren't going to like with Arthur Smith being there currently either. I think he's going to be the one that people are going to absolutely hate the landing spot. They're not overly excited about the quarterback prospect himself either. So I'm going to push him all the way to 112, meaning that we're going to take Brock Bowers here at the 110, taking it with the Seattle Seahawks. I think at some point here, you have to realize that this capital is meaningful. Obviously, it's not great to see him paired up with DK Metcalf, with JSN, with Tyler Lockett still probably being there. A lot of weapons that are already there and in an organization who historically just hasn't really used a strong tight end role it's been a lot more by committee with the Noah Fance and Colby Parkinson and Will Disley over the last couple of years now the team is under different organization right now or at least Pete Carroll's still in the building but it's a new day a new mindset there it could be something where we see this role develop but I don't know how much upside is there while there's still all these other ancillary pieces in this offense that need to get their target share as well I don't think this is good for any of the weapons there outside of Geno Smith really improving from this i don't think it's actually good for any of the weapons there but i am going to lean into the fact that we are in the tight end premium a tight end premium that actually matters as well so i'm going to go with brock bowers at the 110 that leaves me troy franklin at the 111 going to the carolina panthers one of my favorite wide receivers in this class but obviously the landing spot is a little bit suspect with the unknown of bryce young there's nothing else there, though. I don't think a lot of people are going to be really leaning into a Jonathan Mingo rebound after he really went out there and flopped just like everything else on this offense outside of Adam Thielen. But really, if you're looking at Adam Thielen now going on age 33, I believe, there's nothing else there. And this is Troy Franklin's job for the taking. Obviously, like a much better version of a DJ Chark type there. He would be the wide receiver one by far and away in this team. Even if Adam Thielen is still there, if he can stay healthy, I think Troy Franklin would come in and be the number one wide receiver overall that Bryce Young needs. But obviously, with the question marks surrounding the team as a whole, hard to put him up any higher here than where I would have him at the 111. Rounding it out then, as we said, pushing it back to the 112 is Bo Nix to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I just don't think that there's going to be much fanfare. I don't know if when he's going to be able to step onto the field either in this quarterback room struggle with a offense that a lot of people don't exactly like the system coordinator and Arthur Smith. This is the one where that likability score, I think just plummets. And if Bo Nix goes out there, he eventually takes over and he starts to fail. I think the community could turn on him very quickly. So the draft capital still still tells me that he needs to be a first round pick, but I do put him here at the very end of the draft comparatively to everybody else. 
We'll go through that one one more time for you all before we get out of here. A little bit short of an episode today because I am flying solo, but I do really like these exercises of going through these mock of a mocks. You may think they're not realistic. You may think there's no way that the Seattle Seahawks would be taking Brock Bowers and spending that high of a draft capital pick on a position that's really, it's, it's a need, but they already have so many weapons. But the process is what we really go through this for because when you get these situations, when you get the J.J. McCarthy's up in the first round, Bo Nixon the first round to a bad landing spot, it changes what your process of how you would actually lay out these first round picks. It changes that completely comparatively to just taking your favorite guys off the board whenever there's not mocks associated with it or an NFL mock associated with the picks. Now, I still love the process. Still, go into the Destination Devi, Dis- De- Devi Discord. Gump is running so many of these Rookie mocks, they're doing the one QB mocks, the Superflex mocks almost every single day, sometimes two to three times in a day. So if you want to be a part of that community, go get to the ADP that's been posted on the X app as well by Ray GQ and see some of that data, get in some of these rock mocks yourself. You can do that by going over to the DestinationDevy.com website or signing up through Patreon where you can get access into that Discord and be a part of all these mocks that we will be breaking down and reviewing a lot more. I'm sure a lot of the other content creators will do something similar to this over the course of the pre-draft process. It's a lot of fun to be in those mocks to see whatever everybody else is taking. But I also like taking a little bit of a step back and putting this NFL draft capital associated to it because I do think it makes the picks change and it makes your process a little bit harder to work through. And once you've done these exercises, you won't be blindsided whenever it happens. You won't be blindsided of how do I evaluate Brock Bowers going to a spot that I don't really like as much? How do I evaluate Bo Nix going in the first round, but it's to a team in a situation that I don't really like as much as I would elsewhere or with a different quarterback potentially as well, depending on what your thoughts and flavors are within the quarterback landscape as from a prospect evaluation standpoint. I think the process of doing it just makes you sharper. It makes you quicker to react. And a lot of these rookie drafts that we're going to have are going to probably happen within a week of the NFL draft happening. There's probably going to be a consensus that forms, but I think it's important to have your own evaluation, your own thoughts and opinions on what this would look like if this were to happen as well. So that way you can go through that process yourself much easier once we do get to the NFL draft here in the next couple of months. Thank you all for joining in with me one more time before we get out of here. We're going to go through the picks as I took them off the board. Caleb Williams was the 101. Jaden Daniels was the 102. Marvin Harrison at three, Drake May at four, followed up by the NFL draft order as well with Malik Neighbors and Romo Dunze off the board. Brian Thomas wrapping up the wide receiver run here before we get back to a J.J. McCarthy to the Denver Broncos. Then it was, went back to Adonai Mitchell, then Brock Bowers, then Bo Nix, and then, or, sorry, Troy Franklin, and then Bo Nix to wrap up all 12 picks of the first round. A little bit hectic to get through, but I'm glad that we got here. I'm glad that you all were rocking along with me the entire time. And hopefully Chase will be back with an actual voice that works coming here next week. So I have somebody to bounce all of these crazy ideas, these overreactions to next week. He should be back. Hopefully he's a little bit better for wear whenever we get to this Monday recording next week. And so he can grace you all with his beautiful, illustrious voice. Thank you for sticking around to my voice that is just not anywhere near on the same scale. But thank you for tapping in to the Overreaction Podcast.